Welcome back to the PeaceWorks podcast, everyone. At the time of this recording, we here at PeaceWorks are under a sheet of ice as we are uh, enduring the ice storm of 2021. As such, we don't have power or internet, and so our normal live recording of the podcast was unable to happen. And so for this episode, I'm going to reach into the vault of resources and just share with you one lesson from our 12-part series, The Heart of Domestic Abuse online course. This is available at chrismoles.org and also part of PeaceWorks University. So if you're interested in what you hear and you'd like more, please check out The Heart of Domestic Abuse online course, or if you'd like to receive it, it's just part of the um, overall curriculum of PeaceWorks University, then that's your best bet. PeaceWorks University is our online membership site, and we would love for you to invest and take that next step. Okay, so this episode is going to be a little different as there's a couple um, musical and uh, introductions, and of course, it's going to feel a little more like a course. Originally, uh, this was structured as a video, uh, so there may be some references to that as we just rip the audio to share with you. So I hope you enjoy this lesson from the Heart of Domestic Abuse online course. Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. Module 10, Lesson 1, we'll talk about evidentiary repentance. We'll use Ephesians chapter 4 as our design and guide to help us lead others into understanding the necessary changes and long-term strategies for success. Welcome back to the Heart of Domestic Abuse online course. This is Module 10, A New Way of Living, Lesson 1 evidentiary repentance. Now, I know this is possibly a different term, but we like to talk about repentance in two categories uh, in dealing with the heart of abuse. The first, we talked about a couple lessons ago of initial repentance, and that is uh, the worldly sorrow versus godly sorrow um, continuum, understanding those distinctions, seeing a turn or a pivot, uh, but there is also a need for evidenced repentance, that is the living out or the testing of the fruit of repentance. As we've been talking about, our goal is to get to this place of initial repentance, embracing the mind of Christ as opposed to the heart of violence, um, putting on humility, putting off pride uh, as it has led to those destructive behaviors. In our last lesson, we talked about that slippery slope of desire to punishment and the need to construct a, a new um, escalation, a new pattern of moving from desire to blessing, to actually wanting to be a person of character and setting goals that are going to accomplish that. We'll talk more about establishing goals and parameters for further discipleship 
in the next lesson. But today we want to talk about, again, casting this vision of what it looks like when the process is fully embraced and lived out. As we've said uh, in the past, you know, this heart of pride um, produces desires for power and control that lead to the fruit of violence, abuse, um, using the kids, manipulation, isolation, physical violence, sexual violence, emotional abuse, ridicule, etc. And we should be constructing an alternative then moving forward to give men a very clear picture, clear agenda for where they are headed. Jesus said that whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. There's a real necessity as we drop the sword, as it were, as we think through this idea of giving up this desire for coercion and control, dropping the sword and instead embracing the cross. We often talk with men about that um, as if, um, because it is, I shouldn't say as if, but as a demarcation, as a one or the other, we would contend that you cannot carry both the sword and the cross. Um, and those images being so uh, distinct from one another, the sword being the image of coercion and control, where the cross being the image of surrender and sacrifice. And so we invite men like Peter in the garden to disarm themselves of violence, of the idea of controlling another person through threat, and instead embracing the model and the ministry of Jesus, who sacrificed, who, as we've learned in the past, put on this mind, he considered humility the, the way in which to redeem, to um, serve others rather than to be served. And so it's important that we've come to that place, and that's this essence, this idea of initial repentance. Have you denied yourself and take up your cross? Now, the evidentiary repentance is, am I doing this daily, and am I following? Is this a recognizable um, reliable aspect of my life that I have put off the old and embraced the new. One of the ways that uh, many in the Christian church have communicated this is through the language of walking according to the Spirit. Some would say being filled with the Spirit. Some would say staying in step with the Spirit. But the idea here is the continual movement uh, toward Christ away from self or toward Christ away from sin. Romans 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. As we've learned in the gospel application, there is a provisional, positional, and practical aspect of the gospel. So it is imperative that the men we work with um, respond to the provisional aspects of the gospel, what God and what Christ has done for them, to rest in the positional aspects of the gospel, who they are in Christ, but then also to apply the practical aspects of the gospel, which is now to walk, not according to the old man, but according to the spirit. 
Again, casting a vision at this point, you have claimed to put off the pride, the power, the control, and the behavior. You have claimed to turn to Jesus. You have claimed to establish this mind of Christ. You have claimed to want something new. Now it is time to evidence. It's time to walk in step with that reality through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to show the world the change that you claim has happened. Romans 8 continues uh, by saying, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, just as we said, right? Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Notice, um, the two benefits of a spirit set mind of a spirit mindset is life and peace for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. It cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So the results again of where you were, and we have to have a clear idea of where we were so we can know where we're going. You were hostile to God. You were disobedient to God. You were uh, incapable of obeying God. You were not pleasing to God. But, but this is not who you are, according to Romans 8. If repentance, if the gospel is true, and, and you have received this gift that we've talked about, if you are truly pursuing the mind of Christ, if you are redirecting your thoughts toward godly character and godly motivation, this is not who you are. You are in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Never forget that fact. If, if repentance is not evidence, then more than likely you are not a believer. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. If, however, the Spirit of God dwells in you, then this call to action is something that now in the Spirit's power you can live in, you can respond to, you can engage in. Set your mind on the things of the Spirit. We talked in the last lesson about uh, Exodus 34, and I alluded also to uh, the fruit of the Spirit being character qualities that we can see established, knowing, first of all, that they are the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of our willpower or behavior. Notice, we are told that since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit, let us not become seated, conceited, excuse me, provoking and envying one another. So we are suggesting that a person whose mind is set on the Spirit, we are walking in step with the Spirit, we are full of the Spirit, whatever vernacular fits the theological framework here that's going to be most helpful, the reality is this. We should expect to see through continued interaction with you love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, goodness, faithfulness. We should see this aspect of spiritual fruit being manifest in your life. We said in the last lesson, but it bears repeating that um, we are sowing through confrontational ministry. We are sowing in the expectations of reaping a harvest of spiritual fruit. As spiritual mature believers, we are anticipating that discipleship will produce spiritually mature believers who produce this fruit. 
or I should say cultivate as the spirit produces this fruit. Uh, one passage that I think has been tremendously helpful in showing my clients, counselees, participants, a vision for the future. Okay, what are we expecting in this long-term um, living out of putting off and putting on this evidencing repentance as found in Ephesians chapter four. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires and to be made new in the attitude of your mind. So again, we are simply mirroring Paul's instruction. Deceitful desires lead to corrupted being and that old former way of life. Whereas the added new attitude of the mind, the mind of Christ, right, leads to something different. And to put on the new self, created to be like God, so imitating God in true righteousness and holiness. So Ephesians 4 lays the framework for what Paul is now going to be talking about. Verses 22 to 24 set the context for verses 25 through a portion of chapter 6, where he's going to now illustrate what it looks like to put off and to put on. So here, verse uh, 4, 25 through 32, uh, and then you could go on partly into chapter 5 as well, but we will just go through 25 through 32. We see a sample of Paul's illustrating the put off and put on principle to his listener, to his reader. Therefore, so in light of what was just said, right, in light of you were taught, put off, put on with desire and attitude to produce a new self versus the old self. Each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully with your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Next, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. Next, anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they have something to share with those in need. Next, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen and do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you are sealed to the day of redemption. Next, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Paul goes through example after example to illustrate the point of the previous two verses, three verses. Put off falsehood, speak truth. There's a desire versus an attitude. There's an old self versus a new self. Um, don't sin in your anger. So there's a spiritual component, um, a righteous anger, right? And the sin, spiritual component, produces a result, the devil getting a foothold. Desire versus attitude, old self versus new self. Don't steal, but be generous. Don't cut people down, build others up. Don't be sinfully angry, but more specifically, be 
virtuous, uh, and so on and so on. So we walk through these. Uh, we spend quite a bit of time here with the guys using Ephesians 4 to illustrate evidenced repentance. And we use it as a rubric for constructing and understanding our process of repentance. So the example here that was first given is, you know, when is a liar no longer a liar? It's when he's known as a truther. And a thief is no longer a thief when he's known as a generous man. This is not something that simply happens by making a declaration. And one of the big mistakes that I've seen in abuse work and working with perpetrators is they show some contrition, shed some tears, and say they'll change. And the church says that is repentance and therefore rushes reconciliation. What I believe Paul is communicating is that, yes, there is an initial um, act of repentance that must take place, but it's appropriate to test repentance, to observe repentance, because there are desires that are shifting to attitudes. There is the heart of violence is shifting, in our case, to the mind of Christ, and therefore we must see the shift happen over time, and it is not something that we, although it can happen instantaneously, um, we do not see the instantaneous change. The example here of a liar, and then the language used in the passage would indicate that a liar becomes a truther. Now, this can only happen, you, you can only shift identities so drastically from a human perspective if it's observable. I cannot simply lie to you for 10 years and then tell you I'm, I'm going to speak truth from here on out and expect to be known as a truther. This would take time, observation. I would need to practice telling the truth. I would need to evidence the attitudinal shift through the consistent putting on of the new self. Likewise, when is a thief no longer a thief? Well, this person is no longer a thief when they are a generous person. Um, and most obviously, generosity is not simply a mindset. It begins there. I must set my mind on spiritual things. I must have the mind of Christ, but generosity will be observed as I give things away. So I've been known as a thief for 20 years. I don't think simply declaring I'm no longer a thief will make me not a thief. Instead, I must get a job. I need to manage my money. I need to give things away. I need people to see that over time. I need it to be observable that I am a generous person. When is a, a verbally abusive person no longer verbally abusive? Well, when they are known as somebody who builds up rather as someone who tears down. Do, and I'm, I'm at this point assuming that you're seeing Paul's pattern. When is a sinfully angry person no longer a sinfully angry person? Well, when they put off the old, but when they're known as for their compassion, they're known for their forgiveness, they're known for their kindness, as opposed to as known for their revenge, for their... Um, bitterness for their rage. Paul goes on to talk in other cases, such as sexual immorality and so on, to give the same example uh, over and over and over, the same pattern of putting off and putting on. So the question we are then asked or left to pose to the men that we're working with 
is when is an abusive person no longer an abusive person? What is it that God is now expecting you to be known as? If repentance is genuine and godliness is genuine and holiness is genuine and this pursuit is genuine, what are the expectations that we are setting forth to say, this is who you will be known as and how will that happen? Well, in much of the same way as a liar becomes a truther and a thief becomes generous, um, an abusive person becomes known for their support, encouragement, respect, faithfulness, kindness, patience over time by displaying these, by practicing these. And really, consistent practice of, uh, of these qualities, of these put-on qualities, evidence repentance. A willing engagement, uh, a, a humble engagement in pursuing these, evidence repentance. Otherwise, it is destructive um, and, and will not evidence repentance and so it is imperative that we present this to our counselees our clients our participants and help them see this potential uh, give them a framework uh, for living that out it is not enough to give lip service here this is at this point about the change that we're expecting to see right moving from the wicked fruit of abuse to the new fruit of righteousness Okay, I hope that's helpful, gang, and uh, uh, hopefully you can take that same model and then use all the data that you've gathered early on in the process to help construct this um, opposing view, this new view, this contrasting view of what life can be and what it should be as this individual sets their mind and walks in step with the Spirit.